0: Welcome to Bucks Talk, Insight, Analysis, and your chance to sound off on the game you just heard. Now to break it all down, here's your host, Justin Garcia. Well, it was a little prettier than Saturday. Uh, again, maybe not the aesthetically pleasing results that you were hoping for, but it's still a win. It's still two wins. Uh, as much as... You may not want to hear it, and this isn't uh of course you would say that, but the Pistons are playing better lately. You would still feel a lot better if you were winning these games by double digits, but this Pistons team, you do wonder if we're going to start to see a stretch of them starting to win more frequently. Now, that could be going 3-15 and 15 with the rate that they've been playing at, but... You see what that bench is capable of doing. They're going to get Kate Cunningham back in the next couple of games here, potentially Wednesday, and there's a lot of vets on that team that we saw act as thorns in the Buck side these last two games and are going to be very useful on the other teams. So that's going to be a, a, an interesting thing to monitor as well is the movement out of Detroit. But as we heard from Adrian Griffin prior to the game, He was very, very pleased. And this dated back to Saturday after the game. We heard, look, in a game where you gave up 135 points, the message from Griff was, you know, overall, I liked what we saw defensively from the starters. The issues came when the Pistons went to their bench, when we went to our bench. And some of the matchups that they were able to put out there when they were playing smaller, you saw some of those instances of uh, Boyan Bogdanovich playing the five on Saturday. And Brooke Lopez having to, to play out on the perimeter a little bit more. The Pistons had an incredibly productive game from their bench on Saturday, and that carried over today as well. So maybe not quite as extreme as we heard from Griff after Saturday, where the the, the second unit was where the defensive lapses and issues largely came from. But this was another game where that Pistons bench just much more productive. But we continue to see this team more and more locked in and making plays defensively as the game progresses, regardless of the level of competition you were going against. That's something the Bucs had gotten away from in recent games. when We talked about those clutch numbers. Still one of the best in the league in terms of their amount of wins that come in the clutch and their overall metrics in those situations. When the margin is five points or less – in the final five minutes of the game. But not only that, the Bucks had been one of the better defensive teams in the fourth quarter, really up until the first week of January. And as we've seen in these last couple of weeks, all of those numbers have kind of started to take a nosedive. The fourth quarter defense has tailed off. The numbers that we point to of... Since November 3rd, this team, overall, the defensive rating may be in the 20s, but since November 3rd, it's closer to 15 or it's closer to 10 than it is that number. Those have started to take a step backward as well. You're starting to see now, maybe not enough of it, but now you're starting to see this team moving, at least tonight, closer to making some of those plays, and it's just a matter of building upon that. That was the big message we heard from Griff. Overall... The score may not have indicated it when you give up 135 points and only win by six against this Pistons team on Saturday. He was largely pleased with a lot of things he saw defensively. Still admitted, look, there's things we got to clean up. But in terms of the starters, I was pleased with what I saw there. And as he mentioned tonight after the game, more of those plays that you saw from that team and specifically from the starters being locked in there. Now it's just a matter of bottling that and carrying that through for 35, 40, and eventually 48 minutes beyond just the starting five. 855-616-1620 is the number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. Take your thoughts and your reaction to this uh, win, these two wins by the Bucks over the Pistons. Again, I know a lot of fans were hoping you're going to go in there and you're going to win by 20 points against the Pistons. That wasn't what we saw, but given what Philadelphia is doing, given what Cleveland is doing, these are, are, it's just most important to win. And that's what this team did twice in Detroit. 855 616 1620 is that number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. I do want to take a look ahead to Cleveland because those are going to be very big games. And we keep mentioning the schedule and how much that increases severely for the Bucks down the stretch here. The second half schedule, one of the most difficult ones in all of basketball. That last month or so is incredibly difficult, uh, but all of a sudden, with these two games out of the way, the Bucks are now staring at a pretty big stretch of scheduling as well. We'll explain that and get to your thoughts after this on Bucks Talk. Bucks win by nine in Detroit, one twenty-two to one thirteen. This was another clutch game, by the way, because uh early in those final 5 minutes. It was within 5. The last uh, time this game was within 5 points was uh, when it was 114 to 111 with 3:49 left in the game. So, this will qualify as a clutch win for the Bucks. It, it kind of speaks to how much you should really take from these games. You you could be at a five-point margin at five minutes. Four minutes, 58 seconds, you hit a three, and you go in an 18 to nothing run. Case in point, that Clippers game that they won last night, where they scored the final 22 points of the game and then ended up winning by double digits, they were trailing by 18 in the final five minutes of the game, uh, six-ish. So that's going to be a clutch win. But... There are some things to take from those clutch games. I think at times it can be overinflated. And you heard, if you were listening to the network, uh, Dave Kane in his interview with Malik Beasley after the game, it was something that we've talked about before. Of, you know, we keep talking about these, these clutch wins for the Bucks and their performance in those games as though it's, it's something that's going to help this team battle-tested is what you'll hear thrown around a lot of, well, they've been through it. By the time you get to the playoffs, this is a breeze. Look at how many close games we've played in and figured out how to win these games. But the flip side of it is, well, at some point, do you just run out of gas when you're going through this night in, night out? At least that was the case early in the season. Then you hit that stretch from, what, mid-November, basically up until Christmas, where you never really had to worry about clutch games. This team seemed to be gelling and turning a corner and playing much, much closer to the expectations. And then Christmas popped up in the first week of January. And look, even the entire month of January so far has not been kind to the Bucs in terms of their metrics. But I say all this because it's a clutch win today. The Bucks are now 18-6 and in those games. The 18 wins... Is the most in the NBA in clutch games. The Golden State Warriors have played the most at 30. They're 15 and 15 in those games. But you have the Bucks at 18 and 6, the Mavericks at 14 and 5, the Nuggets at 14 and 8, the Celtics at 13 and 8. So just there, and looking at those top teams in terms of wins in the clutch, the Thunder have won 13 games. It makes sense when you think about who are the best teams in the league or who has been playing the best this season. All of those names I rattled off to you, the Bucs would be that one team you would look at and say, huh, that's that's a team that's kind of faced the most issues. And then you have the Chicago Bulls as well. But again, they've been playing very good of late. I think it can be helpful to win these games, and especially for a team that is relatively new. When you figure out those tendencies and and to borrow that phrase, to figure out how to win, when you do that, right? As you're learning a new scheme, a new coach, new teammates, that can be important. But that being said, you don't want to be playing thirty-five to forty clutch games, forty-five or more, I should say. I believe the Bucks played in the low thirties last year. You don't want that high volume. You don't want to be where the Golden State Warriors currently are. Having already played thirty games. What, like 42, 43 games into the season? What that tells you is if every game is close, you're probably just not a good team. You're a mediocre team. You don't have enough talent to pull past teams. And that talent deficiency in turn is also keeping inferior teams close and competitive with you. So you don't want to be at that spot that the Golden State Warriors currently are at. Having played 30 clutch games out of the uh, 40 games that they've played as a whole, only 10 games have been relative blowouts, either wins or losses for the Warriors. But it is good to win these games, and that's what the Bucks have done. And again, I think the biggest takeaway from those clutch games is offensively the Bucks have been good in those final five minutes of a close competitive game. A 124.5 offensive rating. That is fifth best, trailing the Thunder, the Utah Jazz, the Indiana Pacers, and the New York Knicks. But defensively, for as many flaws as we've seen, and, and we've heard Adrian Griffin say, you know, the starters played well defensively. I like the intensity, I like what we saw. We made plays down the stretch. And when you look at the final score, When you look at the margin of victory, it's easy to dismiss that and say, well, of course he's going to say that, but that's not really what I saw. The clutch numbers do seem to back that up. A 98.5 defensive rating in those spots, third best in the NBA. There are only four teams that have a defensive rating lower than 100 in those moments. The Orlando Magic, the Denver Nuggets, the Chicago Bulls, and the Bucks. So that is something to build on. And now you've reached the point where as as Griff said before the game, you know, he was adamant about this. And for those of you that did not hear his pregame comments uh, prior to this one tonight, this is what stood out most to me about what he said. When asked about some of the recent miscues that we've seen defensively and um, and what he is looking for specifically. He was adamant that, you know, we will get there. You know, we have to minimize the amount of breakdowns that we've had. You can have one or two of those, but we can't start to have these bottling up back to back to back. We saw a few of that tonight where it prompted a quick timeout. We saw that happen on Saturday where, again, immediate timeout when you saw players maybe not knowing where to be. But he still very much believes in what he sees. And as he said before the game – you know, th- there's going to be times when the opponent just makes tough plays. Whether it's contested shots, good passes, guys are going to do that. Offense is tough to contain, especially this level of elite athleticism and shot makers that are in the NBA. There's going to be times when you're just up against that. We just have to worry about minimizing the amount of times that happens. It's going to come. Do I know exactly when? No, but I know it's coming. I can see it with this group. They're starting to figure it out. Sometimes it's, it's not as fast as we would like it to be or would hope it to be. But trust me, it's coming. They're aware we have to get better on the defensive end. They take pride in it. Our starters take pride. I've seen enough to feel confident in saying, it's coming defensively. This stuff is going to turn around. Now, as we've also cautioned, growth is not always linear. I think we saw that a little bit in 2021 with the amount of time that it took for this team to really find its stride. It was that final game before the All-Star break when Drew Holiday hit the game winner against the Memphis Grizzlies where you felt like, okay, this is starting to look better. And then after that win, after the All-Star break, they won their next seven games for an eight-game win streak. And during that streak is when it felt like this is the team I expected to see. That was Drew Holiday's first year there. That was Bobby Portis's first year there. You had changed some things with your offense. That was the year where Dunker Spot entered everybody's vernacular and you became more and more familiar with what it was and that the Bucks were utilizing it. Uh, they moved to switching a lot more, and that was a work in progress, but it took time. And as I've continued to say, and I, I know you're frustrated, but this year it was always going to take time. With the amount of change, 40% of your starting lineup is brand new. Your coach is new. Not only a new coach and new schemes and new verbiage that you have to learn, he's a first-time head coach who is also learning along the way. You're relying on rookies and younger players when you think about the minutes you're giving to Andre Jackson Jr. This whole process is going to take time. It may not move as smoothly as you would hope. You don't always go from point A to point B. Sometimes you move around, and I think that's what we've seen from this team. You saw more of that linear growth the first six, seven weeks of the season. Now it's been a little bit of a step backward, and the important part is getting back on the right track. But according to Adrian Griffin, everything we heard from him before the game, and again, you've seen flashes of it. I think the clutch numbers are the biggest thing you would point to. Some of those sequences in the fourth quarter tonight are what you would point to. You've seen those flashes, but now you just have to see it sustained a little bit more. I think that's the frustrating part to most Bucks fans. There's obviously something that Adrian Griffin has seen behind closed doors and in practice for him to be that confident and that adamant of, we're getting there. We're going to get there. Trust me. I can see this. We don't always see that stuff. And that's the frustrating part is is you can look at it and say, well, this team has gotten worse in the last few weeks of the season. And by the numbers, that's tough to dispute when you look at how the defense has taken some steps backward. But there is this belief that it is going to get better and that he is seeing those signs, that it is getting better despite what the numbers show. And look, the other big part is we are now, what, two and a half weeks away from the trade deadline. We have already heard quite a bit of chatter and some interesting names. I'm sure that is going to intensify over the next couple of weeks here. One interesting name that was mentioned, we'll get into that, and uh, as I mentioned, take a look at this Cavaliers team because this is a big stretch of, of the schedule for the Bucs. We keep pointing to March. This stretch here could be very, very pivotal for the Bucs. We'll talk about it after this on Bucks Talk. Well, it wasn't the stylish win that uh, you are hoping for. At least this one was was better than Saturday. Saturday was the, maybe not sound the alarms, but the what is going on here type of game. And I think the difficulty about Saturday's game was you know, we have the, the discussion Saturday after the game, which I'm not sure how many people heard given we were, we were going right up against a, a big game for the Packers. But... We had that discussion over. Look, there's a lot of parts to this game that scream outlier offensive performance. That I think in years past, you would probably accept that, and, and Bucks fans would be the first to point out oh, this was an outlier game. It's it's just more important that you won. You're you were able to win one of those shooting outlier performances by your opponent, but. Given the struggles that we just mentioned for this defense and some of the issues that they continue to work through this season, you didn't really hear a whole lot of, yeah, I mean, that was an outlier performance. The Pistons are not a good offensive team. They have been playing better of late. A lot of that coincided with some of these changes. Uh, Kate Cunningham has been good recently for them. Kate Cunningham's not a great shooter. And with Kate Cunningham out of the lineup with the additions of some vets like Mike Muscala and Danilo Gallinari, who may not bring explosiveness or athleticism, but they do bring shooting. They've been a better team at shooting the basketball of late. But it is still a team that averaged 10 three-point makes per game. They hit 10 in the first half on Saturday. And it wasn't just a matter of, man... The Pistons are just getting wide-open looks. Some of those shots were contested, and that was the point that Adrian Griffin made of, look, guys will make tough shots. Guys will make tough plays throughout the course of the game. That stuff tends to balance out, and the the regression to the mean is what you typically see. We did not see that on Saturday. I think everybody went into halftime, and so the Pistons at one point, I believe, were 9 of 13 on threes. They went into the first half making 10 of 17 three-point attempts. That is better than 50% for a team that averages 10 three-point makes per game. They ended the game with 21 makes, so they had their season average for makes and a half. They shot close to 60% in that half, and you went into halftime thinking, well, this is clearly coming down. It did not. They made more threes in the second half and shot better in the second half and finished the game nearly 60%. But we didn't hear a whole lot of chatter of, well, how many times? If this was a simulation, how many times would we see that happen? Maybe two? One? That may be the only time out of 100 that we see the Pistons do that. But that's the spot the Bucks have put themselves in with the way that their defense has played this season. You don't get that benefit of the doubt. And this stretch that they're going into now, for as much as we talked about uh, Tankathon and your strength of schedule for the remainder of the season, it's not pretty for the Bucs. Because again, the big differences between the Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers, we'll get to them in just a second, a very big night for Philly. But the big differences between these two teams, they've played a relatively similar schedule. At least through the first, what, six, seven weeks of the season. But the 76ers were blowing out bad opponents. The Bucs were not. They were in all of those uh, those clutch games. And that, in turn, gave the 76ers a little more goodwill. And we looked at the Bucs and said, what's wrong with the Bucs, despite the second-best record in the league? Now, that's self-inflicted, but the Bucs have the most difficult schedule remaining from here on out. Opponent win percentage of 53 and a half. The Bucs and the Phoenix Suns with the two most difficult schedules the rest of the way. I mention this because the Boston Celtics have the 29th most difficult schedule. In other words, the second easiest. Philadelphia's right in the middle of the pack. So are the Indiana Pacers. The Miami Heats are in the bottom 10 in terms of easiest schedule remaining. The Cavaliers are in the bottom 10. These are all teams that are within striking distance of the Bucs, and that's the big thing, is for the longest time early in the season, we saw a little bit of separation in tiers. You saw the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers, and then there was a drop-off. And early in the season, you saw the Celtics and the Bucs, a little bit of a drop-off, then you had the Sixers, a little bit of a drop-off, and then you had teams like the Knicks, the Cavs, and so on. What we have seen in the last couple of weeks now is the Celtics have kind of refound themselves, regained their stride. The Bucks and the Sixers have both gone through stretches of essentially playing 500 basketball, but Philly is finding their stride. The Cavs have certainly found their stride, winning eight straight games now. And this has all led to, you're seeing those tears in separation, but it's changed. The separation is, one, the Boston Celtics, and then everybody else. But now teams like the Cavs, the Knicks, even the Heat, they have entered the chat with the Bucks and the 76ers. Two games in the loss column separating the Cavs, the Sixers, and the Bucks. These two games against the Cavaliers this week are huge. Because of that two game separation in the loss column. You lose both of these games. You are tied in the loss column. The Cavs would be 28 and 15. You would be 30 and 15. So you'd still be a game in front of them, but you're all of a sudden on that level with the Cavaliers, potentially the Knicks, potentially the Miami Heat, who as 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 if we need any more reason to be scared of the Miami Heat they have been dealing with a season from hell of sorts when you look at the injuries and the unavailability of players that they've had. And yet the Miami Heat are still kind of lingering around there. The New York Knicks, 26-17. and They're four games back of you, but they just made that trade to bring in O.G. Ananobi. There's been chatter of potentially Bruce Brown or other moves ending up in New York. So it's all kind of led to this point where, look, not only... Do we likely have to keep winning these games as the schedule gets difficult? This stretch we're in right now is huge because if you do start to lose hold of the rope and do start to slide back, there is a very, very serious danger of reaching the point where, again, most difficult schedule remaining from here on out belongs to the Bucks. You run the risk of getting into the teeth of that schedule knowing it's going to be a gauntlet and we got to win 80% of these games otherwise we're potentially sliding even further down to 4th. Maybe we don't even have home court. That's what you're facing with how teams like the Cavs and the Sixers have played and that makes these two games, Wednesday and Friday, very very big. 8556161620 is that number to join us on Bucks Talk. I mentioned a very very interesting night. In terms of these statistics that we saw outside of this game, we'll fill you in on two huge individual performances after this on Bucks Talk. Well, outside of this game, if you weren't paying attention across the league tonight, boy, did we have some storylines. So Joel Embiid went face-to-face with Victor Wembanyama. I believe this was the first time those two faced off. And... Uh, Victor Wama, Victor Wembanyama had a very good game with 33 points. Joel Embiid scored more than twice as many points. 70 points tonight for Joel Embiid, the most points scored in a single game in Philadelphia 76ers history. It unfortunately moves past Giannis for the most points scored in the league this season, and it marks 21 consecutive games now. That Joel Embiid has scored thirty or more points in a game. He's averaging forty a night since December first. How many games is that? Probably like six. Probably with Joel like. I... You have the number in front of you. It was a StatMuse tweet. Oh my god! So the interesting thing about this, and as an agent for chaos, I do hope this happens. Joel Embiid can only miss seven games from here on out. To be eligible for awards. MVP, All-NBA, Defensive Player of the Year, you name it. You can only miss 17 games. You have to play in 65 games. He has already missed 10 games. The Sixers have played, I believe, 42 now. Um, I'm certainly not wishing health issues on anybody. That's potentially a lot to ask for a player that has seemingly annually gone into the playoffs battling something. To say, hey, by the way, we know MVP is important to you. Uh, you don't have a whole lot of uh, time to take off. You can't have any knee soreness popping up, right? It's got to be one-offs in terms of games that you miss. Otherwise, all of this work may be for naught in terms of the awards and the accolades that you can get. But, look, Joel Embiid has been an absolute monster this season. He has been the best offensive player in the league. You can still make a case Giannis has been a better two-way player, but... You, you cannot. I'm sorry. You cannot make a case that Giannis has been a better offensive player than Joel Embiid has been this season. It's been 16 games. I mean, that's pretty good. It's a good. Stretch. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good sample size. Uh, 70 points tonight for Joel Embiid. Carl Anthony Towns scored 22 points in the opening quarter tonight. He had what? I, it was close to 50 at halftime. Right? 48 a half. 48 at halftime. Finished the game with 62 points. Only four in the fourth quarter. I was going to say, there was about a four or five minutes remaining in that fourth where he was up to 60. You nearly saw two players score 70 points on the same night. Oh, by the way, Carl Anthony Towns' Timberwolves lost. But a 70-point performance and a 62-point performance that we saw across the association tonight. Uh, We did not do a, a good job of really calling enough attention to the fact that Giannis not only had a sixth triple double of the season but Chris Middleton. Third on the all-time scoring list, when you think about the career that Chris Middleton has had. Uh, Adrian Griffin shared some thoughts on this after the game. I do want to uh, mention some of those and Chris Middleton and just the career that he has had, the impact that he has had in Milwaukee and the fact that you know we, we so oftentimes talk about Giannis and not taking greatness for granted. And one day this will be gone. The conversation can't end at Giannis. And we've done a much better job of recognizing what Chris Middleton has done, but we do need to recognize the greatness of Chris Middleton. And for it to happen tonight in the place where he began his career was, I think, very fitting. So we'll get into the Chris Middleton discourse after this on Bucks Talk. Well, ain't no way can stop me now the Bucks complete the sweep in Detroit against the Pistons. A nine-point win in a game that Giannis records his sixth triple-double of the season. It came on his tenth assist. He passed to Chris Middleton for a three-pointer that iced the game and moved Chris Middleton past the big dog, Glenn Robinson, for number three on the Bucks' all-time scoring list. When I grew up watching the Bucks, I was... Just past the Marcus Johnson era, I knew of them, but I, I didn't really come into the Bucs until the early Bradley Center years. Glenn Robinson, to me, was the greatest player ever. I, I obviously knew who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was, but in terms of Bucks players that I saw, it was the big dog. And to think there are two players that have completely thrown him out of that conversation— To think that you have a player that made it a conversation of who is the greatest player in franchise history, pushing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out of the mix. The fact that Chris Middleton is going to be on the heels of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Chris Middleton was a throw-in in the trade that sent Brandon Jennings to the Pistons and brought you Brandon Knight and some other guy that was on the roster and played in the G League for the Pistons. Adrian Griffin talked about his work and his dedication and how difficult it is to get to the spot that Chris Middleton has arrived at. He was a G League player. He was a second-round pick. He was an afterthought in the throw-in, and he has become an all-star. He has a 40-point game in the finals. He was, outside of Giannis, the guy most instrumental in bringing a championship to Milwaukee, and he is in the record books with Giannis. He and Giannis will own... Just about every single record in Bucks history. Third on the all-time scoring list, he is already the career three-point leader. Um, Wednesday, assuming he plays, he is going to move into third place, tied with Sidney Moncrief for third most games played in Bucks franchise history. He's going to move past Junior Bridgman this year to be one and two with Giannis in terms of games played. An absolutely incredible career so far. That is not done yet. And at times, I, I still think Chris Middleton does not get the appreciation he deserves. But nights like this are when it is very easy to point out that recognition that he needs. A big one on Wednesday. The Bucks return home for the first of three games at home and the first of two against the Cleveland Cavaliers. 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 is when our pregame coverage begins. And as always, be sure to stick around after the game for Bucks Talk. We will talk to you then.